Hey everyone, before we get into today's episode, I just want to let you know that our friends at Outdoor Edge have partnered with some great brands to help bring your fall full circle with their field to freezer to fire giveaway. Here's how you enter. Go to their Facebook page and sign up to win some awesome prizes and packages from brands including Yeti, Weston, Bradley Smokers, and more. These are some awesome products that will help you process your game, keep your game in the freezer, and eventually cook it for your table. You have until January 15th to sign up, so take advantage of that. Outdoor Edge in the Field to Freezer to Fire giveaway. Go to their Facebook page and make it happen. What's up, guys? My name is Parker McDonald, and I'm your host, and you are listening to the Southern Ground Hunting Podcast. everybody welcome back to the southern ground hunting podcast i'm your host parker mcdonald and this is the last episode of 2020 so for this episode what i decided to do was take a lot of the just like what i would consider golden nuggets from 2020 from all of our guests Um, i tried to condense it down to some of the best episodes that i felt like we had this year and take some of the best moments from those episodes, some of the best nuggets from those episodes, and put it all into one podcast. So if you haven't listened to these, they're really, really good podcasts all by themselves, and uh, I would highly encourage you to go and check them out. And I think if you haven't listened to them, once you hear these little pieces, you're going to want to go back and look at the episode for sure. But um, I've got guests like uh, Michael Perry, Jamie McKay, Matt Powell, Nathan Killen, Reese Johnson, and Lance Smathers. That's the ones that I felt like there was some nuggets in their episodes. All of our guests were awesome. I don't want to take away from any of our guests, but these guys had some golden nuggets in their in their episodes that I felt like you guys would benefit greatly from, especially having them all in one place. Now, I know what a lot of you guys are probably thinking, what the heck, what about Bobby Worthington? And uh, you would be correct in your... Um, in your concern I went through the Bobby Worthington podcast and to add to this episode and there was just nothing that I could put in just a small clip of like all the podcasts is golden nugget so there's three episodes there that are just gold like that you can't you can't put them in uh, like sections you have to listen to the whole thing and so if you haven't listened to the Bobby Worthington episodes you definitely should they've by far been uh, the most popular episodes a lot of guys learned a lot of stuff and we heard a lot of success stories from guys who took the things that they learned from Bobby Worthington episodes and um, and put them into play in their own hunting scenario so if you haven't heard those you need to go and check them out and I do not want to um, I don't want you guys to think that I didn't think that was some of the best moments because it was definitely some of the best but like I said you just can't you can't take little pieces from those episodes and um, that you just got to listen to the whole thing so go and listen to those I can tell you this I have listened to them more than once Um, it's just good stuff it's just all good stuff but for this episode specifically we're going to be talking to these um, we're going to be taking nuggets from these guys and we're talking about things like stand location bluff gaps 
um, how to hunt pressure, how to use other people's hunting pressure to your advantage, um, hunting transitions, scrapes, terrain features, um, going after a specific buck, um, food sources. Specifically, we're going to talk about oaks with land smathers and using trail cameras, which is something that a lot of these guys talk about. So before we get into that episode, I wanted to remind you guys, you can check out screegear.com and you can use the code Southern Ground, all lowercase, all one word, and it will save you on your order. If you don't know what Scree is, Scree is um, a, a hunting camo, hunting apparel company that uh, is just putting out some really, really good stuff. I have personally, in the last little bit in this late season, been using the Ptarmigan. It's a it's an ultra down type jacket, super lightweight, super packable, and also extremely warm. I've been wearing it by itself just to see how I would do with it by itself with just my base layers, and it has worked flawlessly. It's been amazing, especially for you guys in the South where we're not dealing with like, you know, sub-zero temperatures. You're dealing with 20 and 30 degree temps usually on your coldest days, and that ptarmigan is freaking awesome. It's uh, it's super like I said, it's super lightweight, super packable, but also super warm. So you, again, they got lots of stuff. They got lots of base layer mer- merino wool base layers, a hard scrabble set, of course, which I've talked a lot about. It's one of my favorite pieces from them, and uh, I think you can find just about anything you would want to be able to keep you in the woods longer and in any weather condition. So go check out ScreeGear.com. And again, you can use the code SOUTHERNGROUND at checkout, and that will save you a little bit on your order. Also check out Tethered Nation for all your saddle hunting needs and NewCanoe.com if you're wanting to get the best kayak, in my opinion, on the market for fishing, hunting, deer hunting, duck hunting, turkey hunting, bass fishing, freaking cat fishing, anything you can imagine on the water new canoe is going to be my top choice for kayaks and uh just the amount of space that they have the room the customization that you can do with the gear track system just awesome kayaks so go and check out that at newcanoe.com so let's get into this episode i think you guys are going to enjoy it these are the best moments from southern ground hunting podcast in 2020 All right, first we're going to talk with Jamie McKay and Michael Perry, and we're going to talk about stand locations. Now, these guys both pretty much hunt the same type area. It's big woods here in Alabama, public land, and they have a really, really solid track record of killing big bucks. And uh, we asked them a question specifically about stand location. Jamie, how are you making the decision to sit at a particular place to find a particular tree to hunt that day for whether it be a specific buck or um, maybe you just you just know there's a big buck in the area and you want to try to figure it out what are the things that you kind of your your process in figuring out which place to go to That probably comes from a lot of pre-season scouting, looking for the trails. Uh, like right now, uh, season's about to roll out. A lot of your trails are going to be more visible. Um, I like to go in, scratch some of the leaves back, see if there's actually tracks going both directions. I have had uh, taken, because I know I'm coming back, I'll rake all the leaves out of a trail just to see if I can 
see which way they're coming, how much they're actually traveling in it. Um, but like the ridge I was talking about, it's got multiple trails on it. I just try to get in between those so I can, I can kind of catch all three trails, watch them. Um, are you, are you obviously, to be as successful as you are, are you doing anything um, based on wind direction? Um, do you pay attention to like the leeward side of ridges, um, like the opposite end of the, the way the wind's kind of blowing over it? Do you pay any attention to that stuff? Yeah, if I'm bow hunting, I'll try to look at the wind going in, but the way that mountain's twisted up, you can have a, a north wind get in there, and it could be coming out of the southwest or something. It just depends. <coughs> yeah. depends on how fast it's coming in, and you're limited on time to hunt. Sometimes I'm like, I want to hunt it regardless, regardless of the wind. Go try to go as scent-free as I can and get in there. When you say scent-free, what all are you doing? This year, I actually started, I was like, man, I'm afraid my shampoo is going to, you just can't get it out of your hair. So mm -hmm. the whole year I used that uh, scent away mm -hmm. on my hair, regardless going to work, going to church, going out, mm -hmm. whatever, because I, I, and. Uh, green bottle. Yep. Green bottle. That's what I use. So yeah. Early in the morning before I go, get up and go hunting, get up around 3, 3.30, take a non-scented shower. And I was still getting busted a little bit this year. And uh, I think Hunter Safety System come out with a foam, and somebody put me on it, and I take my same shower and before I get ready, I'll do that foam and knock on wood. It's done really good since then. Yeah, and that says a lot too. You're talking about because I agree with you. I think a lot of people, myself included, probably, and we probably preach this too, but hunting wind direction. That's pretty much the only thing I do. I don't do any other real scent control. I, I was using that stuff, and I was like, ah, whatever. I stopped using it. I, I don't think I've, I've washed my hunting clothes like maybe a handful of times all season. <laughs> um, uh, but, like, for example, yesterday I was sit, I set up, and the wind was supposed to be going a certain direction. <clears throat> it was going the complete opposite direction, and it was detrimental in this this specific spot because it was going right at the bedding area, which I knew – a hundred percent there were deer in it at the time but my wind wasn't doing what it was supposed to do right so my lack of scent control probably hurt me in that i don't think you can really ever beat the deer's nose but you can put no you can put the odds in your favor at least a little bit um so so going in that and that was an interesting thing that you said jamie about you know sometimes if i just want to hunt it i'll, I'll like just that. hunt it anyway um, I think a lot of people get really caught up on the wind direction. They won't go into an area because the wind is bad, which also has its advantages. That's a good way of thinking. Was there anything, any specific, like, buck that you've killed that kind of made you start thinking that way, or has that kind of always been how you've, how you've thought about it? Really, a kind of on the... I've always thought about it because good example there's the top of the bluff I like to like to bow hunting and probably go back to it now that it's starting to get thickened back up but I had um, for a five point he was really really nice he got about uh, maybe 30 yards turned left winded me 
I guess the way it comes up on top of that bluff, it swirls about 30 minutes later. Is an eight-point ungodly come in. I said, well, he's going to get right there at that log. He's gone. Now here he comes on in. He works the first scrape. I draw back, let back down. He gets in the next scrape. I draw back, and he's working it, breaking limbs, and he freezes. He does that quick look both ways, gone. And then after he leaves, I'm like, man, I could have shot him at 20 yards through that hole. <laughs> Didn't take it because I killed 11 point about 10 yards to the left. He was finna go the same way that that one went years ago. Down the same trail, same way, had a lane cleaned out, and I should have took him in a scrape. So but, it's just just a lot of just kind of experiences putting it together, seeing it like, yeah, this wind isn't going to be consistent anyway. I just kind of need to. They And I feel like these deer in the mountain, your, your density is so low, they travel a lot. And when he comes through, you got to hunt it when you can because when once they quit it's doing their – they're, they're pre-rut, they're rut, they're done. Exactly right. That's exactly yeah. right. And you're talking about now, it's so hard to get up there and try to find one. When it's over, it's over. Yeah. And you're, and you're limited. And a, a point, another point, what he's talking about, that the three trails or the multiple trails, you got more options. So, there's, you know, one wind might be better for the other. So, I, we always try to set up. He might be the same way where you got more options than just one. Mm -hmm. It's very, very rare that I hunt just a one single trail. So Yeah. Do you, do you ever set up realize that the wind is just terrible get back down or do you, or once you're there you're there i've never i've never climbed back down on really i've never <laughs> once you get up once you you're, start once hiking, there, these, hiking these mountains you get up on <clears throat> finally get set up it's like i don't really want to get down right okay. now and after it gets daylight things can change i mean quick yeah once yeah. that thermal so, yeah. heats up start and i don't know about jamie but i gotta start like in the mornings I've hunt a creek crossing, but I'm not on the creek crossing. I'm higher up and probably got a bluff or something or an edge that's going to kind of hopefully they'll find them by me. I'm not on the bottom because if you're on the bottom, you're going the more swirl's going to hurt worse. Yeah. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Stay higher up in the mornings and gun hunting, surely back up higher. Mm -hmm. Bow hunting, stay a little bit tighter. But in the evenings, I'm completely different. I'm hunting tight to the bottom of a steep hill where I've done scouting postseason whatever know where bucks been bedding or find sheds and then find tracks because tracks is my key thing i'm track you can't tracks don't lie you know mm -hmm. droppings and other stuff rubs can lie but tracks don't lie find the fresh tracks know the big buck near if he crossed the creeks you look and see where he's coming from or where you think he's coming from and kind of make a plan like that and then don't worry about anything else you just gotta spend a little time and hopefully he comes by and that's interesting you said that so uh when you're talking about thermals and kind of the way you set up. I, I uh, knew you were going to go there. Yeah. You, I, you and thermals. I you, like. You, um, you like thermals. Because so for me, when I'm thinking about, and I'm going to make sure that I say this right, and I didn't mishear you and put it together differently in my head. You said you like to be higher up in the morning because your thermals are going to rise. Correct. When the sun Correct. hits that bottom. Right. So what that makes me think, because I'm... I'm not going to say that I, I would, I don't want to access from a higher elevation early in the morning when it's dark because my thermals are going to be dropping down into that bottom while I'm walking in. And typically where we hunt in these big woods areas, the bottoms is a lot of where they're feeding at. It's where the, a lot of the acorns and stuff are at. Mm -hmm. Now what you said would be opposite 
but I feel like there's a reasoning and and to kind of point us in the right direction on here uh, what you're saying is is most of your deer activity or buck activity shootable deer activity I guess is happening after the thermals have already started rising correct now most of them uh, most I've killed one buck that's early but most of them is hour or so after so yeah and all the way to 12 o'clock the 10 point was 12 o'clock today this year. really yes hmm. is that a, that was during the rut too right yeah the 12 o'clock during the rut i thought i think that's interesting how about you jamie i know you killed one did you kill two of them in the evening this year no no the eight point come in the morning and the 10 come in the morning okay mm-hmm. how would you say as far as time wise like are you the 10 come through chasing it seven. I think I shot him at eight and then the eight point he was walking the trail he actually walked the trail in that I walked in on really mm. yeah and uh, I think I shot him around nine okay so both of those being you know an hour at least an hour or so after daylight right later in the same episode we talked to Jamie specifically about bluff gaps in an episode that he did with us last year we he mentioned bluff gaps and we got a lot of questions about them in mountain and really steep terrain type of areas you're going to have bluffs and you're also going to have basically splits in the bluff and that's what he's referring to when he talks about a bluff gap but don't take my word for it let's listen to what Jamie and Michael have to say about hunting bluff gaps how they work and how they use them we have a lot of guys, um, and um, I know Jamie talked about it in the previous episode, about bluffs, bluff gaps. Could you kind of just describe how you hunt that? I, I know you already did a little bit, but right. explain what a bluff gap is for you, and then Jamie also, you can chime in whenever. Well, here, the main place we hunt is a real mountainous area, and it's got a lot of bluffs, straight wild bluffs. Nothing can basically climb it. You know, mm-hmm. be surprised, some places they can climb, <laughs> then you'll have a gap in between. 50 yards, 100 yards, some of them's 10 yards, some of them's tight. You'd be surprised. And you just, like I say, you go around postseason scouting, maybe preseason, and find where big bucks, you just look for the tracks, because they're going to slide every now and then. You can mm-hmm. take your finger on the leaves and find them, and then make your plan like that. But that's basically a bluff gap. It's, it's something to help pinch you off where they're going up to bedding, because most of the time, bucks are bedding a third way down or three quarters way up. They hardly ever bed low or straight on top. It's where they can see down and winds coming over backs to them. So. Do you think the bluff gap uh, style, I guess you could call it, or that tactic, um, do you think they use that for uh, kind of a protection? Because a lot of stuff can't get through that. They can't, they're not going to go, a lot of their predators, I guess, wouldn't be able to climb the wall or whatever. Well, they won't say escape. It's just the escape. The escape on them gun hunts. If he's up high, you're coming in, he can slip down it. You never knew he was there. Uh, or he can slip back up. You never know he was there. So you think, you think, <clears throat> this is interesting, you think that it's hunting pressure that makes the bluff gaps good? Yes. Or uh, a good spot? Yeah. Not necessarily well, any other predator or anything like that. It would be hunting pressure. I would say hunting pressure on the gun hunts. I've, now, as far as bow hunting them, I don't really hunt a bluff gap 
That's hey, that's good information. Yeah, right there. Yeah. That's that's money information to For me. For me, it's I hunt. I love the trails. Yeah. Now, if a trail would lay down a bluff gap, that bluff, bluff, that bluff gap would have to be covered up with tracks up and down, just wore out. Maybe occasional scrape at the top or at the bottom or something like that. But if I go to try to hunt a bluff gap, it's going to be on one of the, the gun hunts that I know pressure's going to be around. Mm-hmm. And I would pick a bluff gap that I know a road bed is on uh, maybe half a mile over that I know that the hunters or a food plot, if it's a food plot, she's that's money right there because you know they're going to hunt around it mm-hmm. and it's right. going to flush them down. So you're almost hoping for hunting pressure yes. when you're hunting those. Yeah. So you're, it's sounding like escape routes. Like yeah. what what other guys call escape routes, these guys are calling bluff gaps, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. yeah. And I, I'm just sitting here thinking off the top of my head of how, how many times I've, I've seen those, you know, that type of, of – uh, situation and thinking man and obviously so talking to you and uh mike talking to you and then just personal experiences i've i have found those trails on those those gaps like that um i give you a crap today today where i was at i showed you the picture of that the big rub mm-hmm. that i found in that line of rubs and those big tracks there's a perfect bluff gap right there where they're using just get to get down to their bedding area and uh so that's that's interesting that that you say though. I think a lot of guys who that I got that question on here mm-hmm. probably more than any question because mm-hmm. it apparently it hit home when then you were talking about it. That was one of the main things we talked about, and we didn't ever really give a great explanation of it. They're like, "What's a bluff gap?" Right. <laughs> I've been looking for one. What's a bluff gap? Mm-hmm. Um, but that I think that was really good. That was really really good. So so talking about Onyx, um, or for a listener who maybe is using a different app there's other ones out there um and you're talking about bluff gaps okay is this something that you can pinpoint by looking at a topo map good question i can't it's hard it not all topos is <clears throat> that correct you can you can get general ideas but you got to put the boots on mm-hmm. to, i mean and the reason i say that i've never seen anything that would look <clears throat> like it, it kind of seems like a lot of those bluffs and stuff are, I mean, as things shift in the earth, you know, it's, it's, it's well, not yeah, for rocks break or, mm-hmm. right. or something like that. That's kind of how those are yeah. created, not that, necessarily. That would, that would have to be something like it to change. But just, when we're talking the big woods, it don't change that much. There's very little logging going on, so mm-hmm. that part don't change. And the bedding, you got to tie in the bedding and the feeding between them to, to kind of make a, I don't know, it, Make it when you're looking the at puzzle. the map, part of the puzzle, you know, because you, you can look at arrow and the topo, then get your idea and go walk and see. But yeah, and, right. and what you said was it kind of seems like pretty simple. Got to go walk and see. Mm-hmm. You, I think you can find you can find a lot of bluffs. You can find the bluffs mm-hmm. on on these. And like I'm thinking of like a, a, a like there's I've seen some saddles mm-hmm. that could possibly be considered bluff gaps yeah, and that's that's a good point too so mm-hmm. is good so. mm-hmm. um but just as far as like those kind of subtle ones that would be good escape routes or that could be used together with bedding it kind of seems like those are the those are not the ones that you're going to be able to find on the map you're just going to have to go and see them mm-hmm. exactly. both of you guys agree with that yeah. oh yeah you gotta lay the, the the boot to the ground mm-hmm. 
it was, uh, I forgot what year it was, I actually had, well, I found his sheds and I found his bed. He was actually bedding up above the gravel road and I put a camera up there and, and it ended up didn't, I got a smaller buck, put my brother on it and I went back down to the vehicle. And That's funny. <laughs> now, there was a smaller one, so I let my brother go kill him while I was chasing so, granddaddy. So I went down to the creek and I got over and, and man, it was one tearing them up size of your calf. Well, I got to following around, and you could actually follow which way he went. And I went, ah, maybe a mile around through there, and you could see the rock wall. And it just, the buck sign just left. I was like, man, it's got to be a gap. So I got up against the rock wall, and I kept following around. I come back to the, it was, I could see the point, and I could see my last place. I'd seen the big rubs on the bottom. And when I got to that point, it was like a shift about uh, two or three foot wide. And it zigzagged. It went up, cut back. I mean, it was, it almost like somebody took and made it for themselves, but it zigzagged up. And it's like just a billy co goat. Covered up in tracks. Really? Yeah. That's, so you, you went up against the rock wall and walked it until, yeah, until you found the sign that said that's where he's coming up and down. At. Yeah, I was like, this deer just didn't, the sign just dried completely up. I said, it's got to be a bluff gap between here and where I found the last rubs at. And I kept hugging around and finally there it is. Mm -hmm. Huh. That's uh that's now, as far as looking at it from the bottom, you couldn't see it. You actually had to get up there and hug it. Yeah. I'm yeah. gonna I'm gonna throw this out there and you guys can take the credit for it, but uh I believe that people who are listening to this probably next season there's gonna be quite a few more deer kills on hunting bluff gaps. Because mm -hmm. that was about the best explanation I've ever heard for it. Mm -hmm. What both of you guys just kinda said together. I was that's uh that's good stuff. I know I'm going to be really – like what you just said too, Jamie, about just walking. Like the sign just disappears. I mean, a lot of times I'm just like, he did something, and I don't freaking know what he, where he went. Mm -hmm. My mind doesn't go to, man, there's just got to be a bluff gap somewhere. <laughs> that's yeah, not that's, what my mind that's, goes that's, to. That, that was my first thought was like – I mean, and, and, and just from hearing both of you guys talk, it's literally – you got to put your, you got to think like a deer almost, you know, and and that's where I think sometimes mm -hmm. I mess up a lot because it's like oh, I'm not walking around that, you know, <laughs> like I am, I'm not, you know, right. but I'm not a deer either, mm -hmm. and so um, just hearing that, putting your shoulder up against it and go, I'm gonna walk this thing, and then oh okay, there's there's a there 18 inch wide path and 90,000 acres, mm -hmm. and so that, them laurel bushes will hide a lot of that too. Yeah, yep. things are thick. The now, do you yeah. do you hunt bluffs anytime, or do you prefer morning or evening bluff gaps? I'm sorry. If I would hunt it, it would have to be in the morning or mid. You know, try Midday. to stay all day yeah. because for me, if I'm gonna hunt a bluff gap, it's gonna be on a gun a uh, pressure. Right. It's either I know. If I was going to hunt close to private land, they, it's the holiday coming up, or it's going to be the weekend. I know they're going to be hunting. Mm -hmm. You looking for? It's just a pressure point for me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Now, what would you say to the guys hunting national forests where you can use the gun? Same way. Same way. Because the national forest, it borders all the private land. Right. That you know the hunting clubs. Right. Everybody. You know, all of our jobs are wrapped around through the week, so they're going to be there on the weekend, the majority right. of the folks. Uh, and all right, and this clip is going to come from our episode we did with Matt Powell called X Marks the Spot. And right here we're talking about how he finds the right location to go in and kill a big buck, and he's talking a lot about going and finding the 
um, the best transition areas. He's going to go into depth on how he finds those and what exactly he's looking for. Uh, but you mentioned something earlier in the podcast, and you talked about finding the right tree. Now, um, before I ask you really how you're doing that, um, I know for me, I've been in that situation before that you, that you talked about where, you know, you're, you're hunting the, the most sign. So you've got a, maybe a Creek crossing, um, that's got just eat up with deer tracks. Um, and you sit there and maybe you see some small bucks and some does, and then you see the buck a hundred yards away, walking the side of a ridge and you don't have any shot at him. So I've been there, and I think mm-hmm. a lot of people listening to this this podcast right now have probably been in that situation. What are you looking for when it comes to being in the right tree? A lot of times for me, uh, you, you can ask Ben sometime, one of my favorite quotes is, X marks the spot. Uh, I want two transitions to be coming together. I don't want to hunt one edge or or you know which i feel like that just ups your probabilities just a little more that he walks there you know even if he misses you he may be back through there uh later on that same day you know if you're on you know a double transition to where you can head another direction and a lot of it is you know that and i find that on arrows you know a a hard edge with this and then a saddle or a, a major creek crossing and then you know three three ridges running into one single toe that come to that creek crossing you know something of that nature you know not just a not just a single aspect if that makes sense yes it does Uh, that's so for me this year that has been a huge thing i've i've been i've talked about it on the on the podcast in the past is i've been trying to find those common denominators so whether i see a deer on the side of the road while I'm driving, I may pull up Onyx maps and try to figure out why, why is that deer there? And, um, you know, kind of listing out all of my encounters that I've had with bucks this year. And it almost always seems like there is some type of transition, whether from a, a hardwood to pines or a clear cut to hardwoods or something like that. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's, maybe it's an overgrown field, um, and, uh, and pines or something. Somewhere there's a hard transition. I'm not talking about a subtle transition. I'm talking about a really, really hard transition. And I'll give you an example. Yeah. Go ahead. Find 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 the second edge too. You know, you yeah. see, you got that one edge. Follow that edge until it hits another hardwood or a creek or mm-hmm. or something of that nature, and you're essentially you got two two hard edges coming together. And you may have, you know, it may be three different ones, but that the whole kind of the X marks the spot thing is what I really look for. And then when it, then when you get there, um, there's really nothing I can tell you that's going to help you in that aspect. It's going to come down to experience and, and gut feeling as to exactly which tree, you know, like we had a guy that hunted with us a lot this year. He, he's kind of a newbie and, and he just wasn't seeing, he was seeing there, just wasn't seeing much, wasn't seeing much. And, like, I finally realized he was sitting on the very, very tops of ridges. Yeah. You know, and you just, most, you find most trails are not on the top. They're on the sides. And it's due for escape route reasons and wind direction, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, <clears throat> you know, it's just easier to get away if they're on the side of a hill. You know, they're just bang off the bluff, you know, basically. 
Yeah, and or, <clears throat> and there's a constant wind on top on on a side hill versus on the top. On the top, you get a lot of swirling, almost as if you're in the bottom. Mm-hmm. Uh, but and I think people and, get distracted by like, the sign that's on the top of Ridge. I see a lot of sign. They do. You know, yeah, there's kind of like a field edge. You know, big yep. open ridge top. You know, it's it's got to be something to neck them down. You know, it's yeah. And it can be very subtle too. I mean, a blow down tree on a ridge can can do wonders. It can narrow a hundred yard ridge down to a fifty yard shooting lane. Yeah. So uh, I've noticed uh, the same thing, and and now I kind of understand what you're saying when you say X marks the spot. Um, man, even I was going to give this example, uh, you know, late season here in Alabama, um, after the rut. And so if you're hunting an area that's the ruts already passed, it can be really tough. So my area that I normally hunt the ruts, you know, in that early December range. And so when you get to January, it's really hard to, to find bucks, but I start concentrating on that really, those really thick transitions and, I'll give you an example. There was a, a clear cut um, with like some, some pines in it that was probably about three years old, and it was on private land. Yeah. And then there was a, a hard edge to another clear cut that the pines were in there were a lot taller. It was probably a 10-year-old clear cut. And then on the public side, those were both on private. On public, it was super, super thick um, hardwoods, like really thick understory probably had never been burned it was kind of a secluded spot and and that is exactly right there where those those three met is where those deer came out i saw two bucks that that day that night and yeah and that's Mm -hmm. exactly where they came out at and i find that that's one of those common denominators that i've been finding is that those three or four-way transition lines especially from vegetation are huge they're big man and it and it may just up it you know the sighting slash movement by 10 percent. you know it may just be that that one little nudge but that's all it takes you know just to be slightly above average you know and then you know you're you're just you where you know say say where 10 percent more of a deer walks in a normal edge you know and so that just ups your percentage that he's going to come through that that transition somewhere checking, you know, scent checking. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's just a – and a lot of times uh, if you look at, that, you know, find those X transitions places that are kind of X-shaped, it gives them multiple directions to go uh, on cover slash terrain instead of just following one edge, you know. Yeah. It, it's just It just ups the percentage just a little bit. And each one of those, each one of those transitions too, ha- offers something. So maybe one of them offers food, the other offers bedding, the other offers, you know, whatever cover. Um, you know, that just yeah, that's right. It's a reason why they can be there, and you know, I think that's that's a huge thing that I've been trying to drive home to people is uh, is those finding those transitions, and the more transitions you can find in one spot, the better. Like, man, I, that makes me really happy to hear. Uh, you say that because I'm hearing you talk about it and and realizing that the things that I'm kind of learning and things that I'm kind of realizing are, um, man. Mm-hmm. All right, this little piece is from a episode we did with Nathan Killen, and this is from our Local Legends series this year. And Nathan hunts the mountains in Virginia, 
and we ask him a pretty straightforward question. Do you hunt scrapes? And this is what he has to say. No. <laughs> and, and, you know, I'm going to get some backlash for saying that because I'm sure there's hunters out there that, you know, uh, like to hunt scrapes. But, you know, I, I know what kind of, uh, uh, you know, scrapes that a man should be hunting and, and, and hanging trail cameras over, you know, that there are very specific scrapes that, you know, if you wanted to hunt, you know, those are the types that to hunt. And, it, it, of course, it's those big truck hood side scrapes that's really dished out, got a, you know, a big uh, um, thumb-sized uh, licking branch over it. And, and, you know, you can tell that those deer are really working those over. But, you know, I've, I've run cameras over those for years. And uh, most of those type scrapes are always located near, you know, uh, uh, areas where deer are feeding, you know, really heavily. Mm-hmm. And and so, you know, you're not going to get, uh, and, and my experience has been that you're not going to get, uh, you know, any kind of consistent uh, pictures or sightings of, of, and I'm talking a mature buck, you know, a five, six, seven, eight-year-old deer. Mm-hmm. You're not going to uh, catch them on any kind of consistent pattern enough to be able to kill them in those type of spots. It, it, for me, it's just too sporadic. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but, uh, you know, and as far as licking branches, and you got to think too, you know, here in the mountains, you don't have, uh, heavy concentrations of bucks, right? you know, so, uh, um, in, in areas with a lot of broken habitat, you know, like say the Midwest or somewhere where you have, you know, several, you know, uh, three, four, five year old uh, deer in an area, you know, that those type of spots are going to have a lot more activity. Mm-hmm. you know, uh, versus in the mountains, you know, so. Yeah, and and so I asked that question, and, and also it makes me feel good. It makes me feel good about that. And actually last year um, we talked to a fellow named Jamie McKay who said the exact same thing, and when I asked him that question, he said, I, I said, why? Why don't you hunt scrapes? And he says, well, if you've set over as many scrapes as I have in my life and not been productive, you'd probably start hunt, stop stop hunting scrapes mm-hmm. too. And, uh, and I don't, I don't do it. Like it's, it's never been productive for me either. Um, but when I heard Andre talk about these, uh, pecking order licking branches in the early season, especially when they're right there close to bedding, um, that he, what he has seen is deer is bucks getting up out of their beds Mm -hmm. throughout the day and going and checking out that licking branch as long as it's still in that heavy cover. Right. Um, and I have found a couple of those, not a lot, but I found a couple of them, um, during the early season. And, um, I'm curious to know, is that a scenario that you would hunt Nathan? Yeah. If I could find that scenario here in the mountains, but, uh, you know, that these mountain bucks where they have so much variety and choices as far as where to bed, you know, most of the time they're bedded either behind where uh, the doe family groups are or in a completely different direction. Mm -hmm. So, you know, they're going to lay most of their scrapes in areas where, you know, there's going to be a lot of social activity. Mm -hmm. But now I can, I can tell you in Ohio, now a man would be a fool not to hunt scrapes, especially the last week of October into the first week of November. I have a little bit of experience hunting Ohio, not a lot, but, uh, I've run trail cameras there, and I have had some excellent uh, hunts uh, hunting over those really big, you know, uh, 
truck hood size community scrapes. As a matter of fact, one of the first big ones I killed in Ohio was over one of those scrapes. Those mm. bucks are they're just a totally different animal uh, in Ohio versus here in the mountains. They they seem to me like a lot more daylight active than they are in the mountains. Do so. you think that has to do or, or – uh, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say that, uh, you know, in uh, over scrapes anyway. Yeah. You know? Do you think that has to do – and obviously it does have to do with sheer deer density, but do you think it has also to do with um, like in those states like that – um, that have higher deer numbers, but they also have a higher, uh, they have a lot more areas of concentrated food sources. So um, you, when I say a concentrated food source, it's kind of a, a constant, a constant food source as mm-hmm. well, like cornfields, soybean fields, and, and different things of that nature, crops and, and things like that. Whereas um, in a mountain scenario, or even really a lot of the South, most of the South, whether it be swamps, mountains, just big woods, yeah. whatever it is, um, we don't have those. We have everything is a lot more diverse, mm-hmm. a lot more spread out. There's not really those concentrated areas. Do you think that Nathan, that that has to do with you know where they're laying down those scrapes and when they're actually visiting those um, a scrape location is just like that. Their, their food sources are not necessarily as concentrated. I, I hope that makes sense, um, what I'm Oh, asking. it makes perfect sense. I think it makes perfect sense, and I think you hit the nail on the head. You know, the more broken the habitat is, the more it's going to concentrate the deer into smaller areas. Mm-hmm. You know, like here in the mountains, you know, what's on one ridge is the same as the next and the next and the next and the next, you know. So the deer are really spread out, you know, and uh, whereas – you know, in broken habitat, you know, the deer are really, you know, where they bed is more uh, concentrated and where they feed is more concentrated. And normally the, the distance between the two isn't that very, you know, far. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, in the mountains, you know, whenever we have heavy uh, acorn crops, you know, uh, deer don't have to move very much. You know, they can, uh, they can pretty much spend their whole time in you know a remote thicket on a hillside and never have to come out for anything yeah Yeah. you know uh so yeah it's just two totally different uh um habitat types and and i believe the more broken the habitat is the more productive you know hunting scrapes and stuff is going to be all right in this one we're going to go into the same episode with nathan killen we're going to talk about ridges and terrain features that he is looking for that might be a little bit different than most of the things you're used to hearing. Let me ask you this. One of the things that um, I don't typically do a lot of out here is hunt the spines of a ridge. Um, I find a heavy concentration of deer sign, um, but I don't typically find a lot of buck sign, just any buck, like not even mm-hmm. not even a difference between young and old. I just don't typically see a lot of, a lot of bucks on ridge tops on the spines of those ridges. Right. They're almost always on some type of some type of slope. Mm-hmm. Um, is that something that yeah. you're finding, or is is there ever a time whenever you feel like a spine of a ridge is a good place to be? No, uh, I never. I, you know, back in my younger years, you know, I hunted the spine of a ridge. But, no, 
you, you should always be off one side or the other. Most of the time, it, it, you know, he's going to travel either the leeward side or um, if it has cover, you know, both of those two need to kind of factor into where you want to set up. But, you know, most of the time they're always off one side or the other, the top of the ridge. So, And, and do you find um, one of the things that, that we talk about fairly often is um, deer finding that, that thermal tunnel, right? Mm-hmm. So, tra- and traveling in that, um, obviously – when you when you're talking about a 1500 foot gap in elevation it's going to be hard to find where that that little that thermal funnel or tunnel actually is at is that something that you're paying attention to at all um, is it is it pretty constant there on a certain you know top third of the ridge or something like that um, or is it kind of random well, uh, if you're on a main ridge, uh, yes, you know, it, it would be more constant than, say, a secondary ridge. Um, but, yeah, you, you know, I don't think in terms of, uh, ther- uh, you know, a thermal tunnel or whatever, you know, uh, but the, actually when you're hunting the leeward side, that's exactly what is being created, you know. Right, right. So. Yeah, and, and do you find, um, I guess I guess my I guess my question here is that, the travel of the deer, would it be more, you mentioned, you know, which, what elevation the acorns are falling on. Um, do you think, what do you think would predict the deer movement the, the best or where they're going to move at? Would it be something like the thermal funnel or would it be the elevation that the acorns are falling? Cause that could vary, um, tremendously. Yes, so that, that, no, it would definitely, it would definitely be, uh, the location of the acorns. Okay. Um, yeah, I, I see, the buck bedding being uh, very important as far as uh, you know thermals and, and wind. You know that that's well. Whenever wind is in the equation, that's going to be more important as to where he's bedding versus where he's feeding. Okay. You know that makes yeah. a lot of sense. That makes a lot, and and it's 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 one of those things. Whenever you're talking about you know maybe 300 feet of elevation from the yeah. the creek bottom that yeah. we're hunting versus the spine of that ridge. Uh, you know, it, it's relative. It's a lot easier to find those places, and you know, right. you may not be, you may not, especially if you're if you're rifle hunting, you may not be screwed out of out of a buck if yeah. he just travels anywhere on that ridge. So, um, but when you're talking about fifteen hundred feet, there's a lot of room for error on that on that type of ridge. And so, um, I think those those kind of type of questions are pretty important. Um, now, when you're looking for um, Another type of area, obviously, the first thing that comes to mind when I think of, you know, hill country would be, or mountain country, would be a saddle. Like, I think every deer hunter for mm-hmm. a long time has said, a saddle, that's where you need to, that's where you need to be set up at, yeah. at some point or other. Yeah. Um, I think you have a pretty interesting take on this, Nathan, and I, I kind of want to know, um, does a saddle jump out to you on a topo map, um, and why or why not? Well, you know, I definitely pay attention to those type of terrain features, but I saddles are what, just like what you just said, that is where everybody wants to hunt. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in my experience, you know, bucks will skirt the edge of those type of terrain uh, features. You know, most people want to set up dead right in the middle of it to where they can, they feel like that they're catching 
most of the deer traffic coming through. But now that those big deer, you know, you imagine, you know, hunters hunting those places repeatedly and, and then a big buck comes through there during the middle of the night or whatever, and, and he can smell where the hunter's been, mm-hmm. you know. So, uh, you know, he starts avoiding, you know, going right through the middle of that, and he'll he'll be off to one side or the other. And, uh, and, and really personality has a lot to do with how those bucks will come through those uh, places too. You know, younger bucks, I'm talking, you know, year and a half, two and a half, three and a half year old bucks, you know, the, the more social they are, the more likely that they're going to go right through the middle of that uh, uh, type of terrain feature uh, because, you know, they're with, uh, you know, they're more interested in uh, social interaction with other deer. So naturally that's, you know, where the other deer travel through. Mm-hmm. A deer that is less social, he won't um, he, he won't travel dead center through those type of spots. He'll be off to one side or the other. And because he don't really want that uh, one-on-one contact with that other deer, you know, he's he's just more of a hermit-type per- or deer. And if you think about that, you know, a, a buck uh, during hunting season that is more social, he's going to get killed a whole lot earlier mm-hmm. than, uh, you know, a, a buck that's not as social. So, you know, a buck that's using that area, and I, I know that I'm probably – making this sound confusing i don't know but not at all no. <laughs> not at all i'm trying to you, you know uh differentiate the uh, the difference between uh well i guess the easiest way to say it is is a buck that is more social will live uh a lot uh shorter lifespan than a buck that is uh less social yes that makes a lot of sense makes and, perfect and, sense yeah because he's put you know a, a more social deer is, is putting himself out there uh you know, and the visible, you know, and being more visible, so you know he, he's going to die a whole lot er, uh, earlier. So mm-hmm. a buck that is less social, like I said, you know, from the beginning he's going to live longer. So you know, uh, the older he gets, you know, he's still going to be uh, less social. So he he's going to make it by a whole lot easier. So. Right. It makes I know you, I rattled on a lot right there. No. no, not at all. It makes you wonder if, like, like let's just say you went out on a on a, a deer farm, mm-hmm. right, a high fence or something like that. Yeah. And you have a bunch of deer that are able to reach maturity. It makes you wonder if they really do, if they do have different personalities, mm-hmm. or if they just mature and they mature into being yeah more you know, hermit like, like what mm-hmm. he's saying, it makes you wonder that because like, obviously it makes sense in your mind to say, Oh, you know, they're going to die a lot faster. If they're more social, they're going right. to die a lot faster. Um, but it makes you wonder if, if they didn't die, would they still be social? You know what I'm saying? Do you yeah. think, do you think that yes. they have those it, it, personalities? My, it, yes, absolutely. And the reason I say that is, is because, you know all these hunting shows and, and stuff you see on TV that you know these guys are hunting these uh, um, um, private leases and stuff like that. That they, the bucks that they are killing are very social deer. Mm-hmm. You know that they're you know you you see those big bucks coming right out into food plots and stuff right in the, you know broad daylight and stuff. And I guarantee yeah. you that they still have bucks that. Uh, have um are less social 
that they, you know they might just get on trail camera, but they hardly ever see deer in the daylight. Mm. Yeah. But yet they're still the same, both the same age class deer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that makes and, a but, lot of sense. You know, they're they're allowing those bucks to reach that you know uh, maturity, but because they're passing them up. Yeah, you know, so uh, you know they're that those are the ones that they're killing. Yeah, yeah. So Nathan, we we talked about the saddle and how um, you kind of avoid those. Um, but what are wh- what is something if you picked up a you know new piece of property with a with a good ridge system? What is something on a topo that catches your eye? And then also, how do you pick a tree in that in that that you want to set up in? Well, naturally, you know what I, I look for the steeper places mm-hmm. uh, and and the flatter spots too, because I know the deer. You know, if they they consider that's where they're going to be at night. Right. You know, and uh, then whenever they go back to bed, you know, uh, especially the older uh, bucks, they're going to be on those steeper hillsides. So mm-hmm. I'm looking for any kind, you know, like a bench or uh, a logging road, anything that connects the two. Okay. And, for uh, for example, a bench. Let's say that I find a bench that uh, I feel like that, you know, uh, I can kill a, a, or that I know that a big deer is traveling. And really this gets back to uh, to the precision stand placement part that you you know you talked about uh, the other day that you wanted to ask me about mm-hmm. uh, with this that's where this comes in you know most of your big deer are not going to travel dead you know right on that bench they're going to be either above it or below it mm-hmm. you know so uh the, the best place to be you know like i just said is either either above it or below it or on one end or the other of that uh bench Mm-hmm. Uh, you know where you have a lot more trails and stuff starting. Yeah, so where, where, where it either kind of peters out or whether it opens up, right? It, it, well, not where it opens up, but where it, it starts petering out. I got gotcha. you. Know, uh, yeah, and 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 most most of the time that's going to be where it peters out on the steeper end. Mm-hmm. You know, let, let's say that you got a, a bench that's coming from, you know, a nice uh, open hardwood flat. And, uh, and and as it's uh, coming around the side of the hill, you know, it, it's starting to get into some steeper stuff. You want to be out on that steeper end. All right, for this next one, we're going to be talking with Reese Johnson from Kentucky. Reese has had a really good track record of going in and finding specific deer on public land and on private land. He's going to talk right here about how he is finding a specific buck and when he is planning to go after that deer. But yeah, I'm going to target the biggest deer I can find. Um, sometimes that's on public, sometimes that's on private. And that goes back and forth. I've got cameras everywhere. I'm running about 70 cameras right now total. So just, and they're scattered. I've got half and half. So I've got permission farms. We've got leases. Uh, we bought our first small farm this April. Uh, not real big, but I knew it laid in, in a good spot to catch good deer coming through. Uh, the numbers were right. Everything made sense. So we bought it, we set it up for deer hunting. We've got three stands out there, a couple cameras, and we've already got a couple nice three-year-olds on the place. And I don't know whether we're gonna get anything that's gonna interest me, but my goal is to find that biggest deer, learn as much as I can, and dedicate my season to him. So when you do that, um, you know, we, we had Bobby Worthington on the show the last three weeks um, uh, towards the end <laughs> of our Local Legends series. When you do that, he talks a lot about, you know, especially targeting a specific deer um, staying out of the, staying out of that area until he's the most killable, which would be during the rut. Is that something that you're doing, or are you basically using every bit of the season that you possibly can? 
I'm using every bit of the season as I can up until getting real close to now. I mean, I've been running cameras hard. I walk a lot during shed season, a lot during the winter. You can find – and that is my favorite time to learn. Go in there. After season, the leaves are off. You can really see the lay of the land. You can see the trails. You can see the scrapes. You can see the rubs. You know, you put that together, and then you get on your onyx, and you, you know, you pin it. And then you learn as much as you can. And then – so when this summer came around, it's time to go back in there. So I knew right where I had – I had already counted how many cameras I wanted to put out, what I wanted to know, and where they needed to be. And it wasn't like – you know, summertime, you go back in there and like, that scrape's a little harder to find. Those rubs are not as easy to see. And you're looking at or those tra- even the trails. And so you're looking for those things. Like, where are they? And so, you know, you go back in there uh, to those pins that you've already got. And you know, I set this for a reason. This was what I told myself I'm going to put it here. And so, um, but yeah, it's about time to start getting out. But I have been hard at it, learning every little thing I can, tweaking, adjusting cameras, walking every square inch of where I think he could possibly go. Um, and so I'm at that point now where, they need to – I'm probably not going to go back in there and bother that deer if I can absolutely help it. Um, I'll probably do one more pull September-ish. Um, and, then, and then, yeah, hunting him, <clears throat> I'm unsure exactly how, you know, you want to go about it. It's kind of those things. You want to you get there before the other hunters potentially do. But, you know, he's also most killed during the rut. But then you're going to have an influx of hunters potentially coming. And yep. so you kind of got to weigh those things and balance, balance that out. And so I'm probably going to sit around and check those cameras sparingly as much as I can control myself and then look for those right weather fronts for those spots I have already pinned and in my head. And then if I feel like I can make a move in September, which I guarantee I will try to chase that deer early. <clears throat> and if I bump him, I'm okay with that. You know, it's one of those things. Yeah. If, I, if I tried, then I can sit back, stay out two, three weeks, wait for the right next front or hold off to the right entirely. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you know, that's been one of the things that I've been kind of going back and forth with, um, especially doing most of my hunting on public land um, you know, and listening to uh, a lot of the feedback that we got from those episodes from people talking about, you know, well, I can't do that. In my I can't stay out of there until the rut in my area because somebody else is going to go in there. So I feel like I've got to be aggressive as soon as I possibly can. And I understand that. And I think a lot of people understand that. I don't, I don't think anybody's, you know, really like saying, no, that's stupid. Um, but it also, you know, for me, like I have a lot of areas that I can go into and I know 100% that nobody is going to be back up in there by walking. Um, if somebody goes in there, it's going to have to be with a boat. And I see very few people doing that. So I can feel pretty confident that I can go in to a, an area and not pressure the deer in that area. Um, and so I'll save those spots. And you have to wait. If you know, and you've scouted, you've done the research and you can get in there on that deer earlier than the rut, then you should be in there. You should be aggressive. I I think most deer hunters are too timid, truthfully. Um, and, and that can, and I can, I can even talk myself out of doing things more often not, but I would rather go down giving it every chance I got and every chance I could go you know, pl- smart, but still getting there as much as possible to hunt that deer rather than waiting on him to get in the rut, pick up with a doe and be two miles away. And somebody who never even knew the deer was there, you know, shoots him. And that's just the nature of the game. So I would take my chances, especially, you know, you put in all this work to figure out where he's bad and run these cameras or not. If the time is right, wind is right, weather's right, go get in there and be aggressive. Be it September, October, whenever you can. And our final guest on this podcast is, 
from our episode we did with Land Smathers from Mississippi. Right here, Land is going to talk about different food sources that he's looking for, specifically different oaks and how he's finding them on Onyx or any type of mapping uh, software that you use on your phone. He's talking about how he finds them, what he's looking for, and the different times of the season that he's going to utilize each of these food sources. I, I know you mentioned a lot of the oaks being your main f feed trees. Is that pretty much your main food source that you're concentrating on throughout the season? Yeah, most. I mean, pretty much all all of my hunts are based off of oaks um, or food plots, food sources on private ground, catch them coming off of the public on the private. Okay. Which I'm sure really makes a lot of the private guys happy. No, that's but exactly what I do, man. The game. <laughs> that's what I do. Yeah. yeah I so. mean, listen, uh, I ain't got no shame in it. I hunted a freaking property boundary today. I watched that doe come right off of private land. Um, and, mm -hmm. and if I had to, if I had to be honest with you, most, most deer that I have killed on public, I watched them walk off of private. Um, as you're, yeah, you're exactly well, right. That's the game. Are, you, yeah. I mean, a lot of these places where you got some of these chunks on the river, you've got 200 yards of public from the river up into the private. So, yeah. I mean, if you're, you're most likely going to have a deer coming off the private or cutting through. Exactly. Depending on what the parcel looks like. Exactly. Now you mentioned, yeah, you mentioned a lot of, uh, a lot of the, you find a lot of deer bedding, right up there close to the water in a lot of those, uh, the cane thickets and stuff like that. Do you find, um, one of the things I've been noticing this year is that our season opened in Alabama, part of, part of the state opened, uh, two weeks earlier than normal. So I got to hunt deer two weeks earlier than really anybody's ever hunted deer in Alabama legally. And the acorns hadn't dropped yet. Um, and so they were still on their, summer food which is mostly natural browse and then private you know food plots and stuff like that but a lot of the areas that i was finding the most deer sign was right up against right up against the water and i think a lot of it had to do with the vegetation and the sunlight hitting that right up against the water and it creating a bunch of that like undergrowth natural browse type areas in in the flatter river bottom type terrain what you're what you're typically hunting is that something that you see a lot of as well yes especially in these these dried up slough beds old yep. slash beds in there that's dried up during the summertime you'll get that i don't i don't really know what it's called it, duck potato weed or something like that that really neon green stuff yep um it's almost like vine they eat the crap out of that stuff cuckleburrs they eat the crap out of cuckleburr leaves um a lot of that greenbrier, of course, everybody knows that. It's going to be more, we're going to have a lot more of that up towards the pines, which is going to be in higher elevations and more so on private than anything. Yeah. Um, the, the hard, in the summertime, I don't really find a lot of bucks, so to speak. I just, I'm more so identifying likely spots, spots that I may know from the past or something that just looks bucky. You know, you get that sense. Sometimes you're looking at it, you're like, yeah, this is, this is right right here. Yeah. Um, it just sets up perfect for him. And then from there, it's identifying every, I, I, we've got 
more hard mass around here than I can you you could ever hunt in your lifetime. I mean, oaks are everywhere. That can be a problem unless you got a year like this year, where oaks are super spotty. They're dropping heavy in some spots, but this year it's been awesome because I've got like I'll have four oaks, water oaks dropping over here, and one water oak way over here. You know, 150 yeah. yards from it. Yeah. Well, obviously, you know. As long as he's, if he's got a pick between the two, you know where he's going. Yeah, sure. Um, whereas there's there's ten water oaks right there, and there's only one of them dropping. It makes the, the hunt really easy and picking out a situation. Um, actually, my buddy, last weekend, last weekend was the greatest weekend for a bow hunter could ask for. Um, we got that 15, 18 degree temperature drop overnight. Yep, and went from like eighty. 82 something like that on thursday afternoon to 65 i think it was 67 on friday afternoon i went out and shot a buck i sent my buddy down to one of my little public spots he shot a buck a nice little public eight point um and then my cousin he went to another spot it was another piece of private he shot a nice eight point so it's just that that first that middle cold front or the cold front in the middle of october is just it's nasty what happens yeah. when that happens. And it was all based off of oaks, all three of our bucks, every single one of them. Wow. Now, hunting that, hunting those oaks close to the bedding spot, big thickets. Are you finding big differences, which I don't know necessarily on, on the river bottom areas, what, what kind of oaks you're typically keying in on. But um, what you said was most of your season, most of your hunts is based around oaks are you are you typically trying to find white oaks in the early season and then move more towards red oaks in the later part of the season? Well, it, it just depends. I know where those trees are in the spots that I have picked out. You know, I base I start with the thickets. Yeah. So I need to know because he's not going. You know, you could have a hundred acres of national park wide open oaks of the prettiest, hardest dropping white oaks you've ever seen. Well, there's nowhere for them to bed. They're not going to be any deer there. Yeah. Um, so I'm identifying that. And then going around that 360 degrees, if you find the oaks. So that being said, I'll know what oaks are in the area. Now, whether they've got acorns on them or not is the issue. And, yes, it's going to be white oaks or water oaks in the beginning of the season. If there's no white oaks around, I'm going for the water oaks. That's going to be number one. Um, or overcups. We've got a lot of overcup acorns around here. You've seen those before. Yep. I'm sure. Um, they like those, but generally they don't, they'll, they'll, well, they actually probably have started dropping by now. They usually drop about middle of October. Okay. Um, and then, but yeah, white oaks are first. And then the red oaks, they'll be dropping here not long. So, <clears throat> but I'm, like I said, I don't know which ones are going to be dropping. I don't go out and, look in the tops of trees to see if I can see them. I'm just, when it's time to go hunt that spot and I say, all right, I got the right wind to go in on it. I'm going to walk around until I find the hot tree. All right. And this last part, Land talks about how he uses trail cameras in high traffic areas and how he's setting them up, where he's setting them up and what he's doing with that information. Once he has it, do you put a lot of, a, a lot of time into summertime scouting? Um, not a lot. Uh, I do, you know, I'll probably go, well, let me take that back. 
I do more scout. I have four trail cameras. I'm not a huge trail camera guy, but in the summertime, I do utilize them. Um, and then once once deer season gets going, I just kind of I'll throw them on a you know one of those feeders on the private and just let them run. Yeah. And go check them every now and then, just see if anything moved in the area. Um, but uh, in the summertime, what I do is I'll go to a spot. I'll run in real quick, you know, spend an hour or two here or there and just find something good, a creek crossing, um, a little pinch point of some kind close, real close to a potential bedding spot. And I'll set the camera there and I'll leave it a week. And then I'll come back in a week. If there's nothing on it, I'll pull it out and I'll go somewhere else and find another little creek crossing. Some of these spots, you'll have a ditch that's a half a mile long, you know, and there could be 10 creek crossings mm-hmm. on it and i'll set a camera here if nothing here i'll move down to the next one set it there leave it a week come back nothing there keep moving it till i find something now once i find one then i'm gonna do a little bit more research in that area yeah and I'm, if i'm getting him once a week i'm like okay he's here but he's not really here if i'm getting him like three times a week i'm gonna pull that camera out and I'm going to try to figure out what's my nearest food source, greenbrier, oaks, whatever it is, going on a private or going to a corn feeder, for God's sake, whatever. Um, and then once I get ready, you know, first couple of weeks of season, I get the right wind and a cool front. That's the biggest thing um, is waiting on the right temperatures. Because that hot day is not going to come out early enough for you to shoot him. Yeah. But that 15-degree that, that temperature drop day, he will a lot of times. And that's what that's what I capitalize on a lot. These last about five years, I've quit going every chance I get, and now I go when I when I know it's a good day. All right, that is going to be it for this episode. Again, I hope you guys enjoy this. I know a lot of it is stuff you've probably already heard if you've been a faithful listener to the podcast. But if you're anything like me, it is always great when you hear good information to hear it again. And maybe this helped you out in, in some of these guys, they, they obviously have different tactics. They're doing different things. You know, I think specifically about what land said versus what Reese said. Reese talks about going in aggressive anytime you get a chance and land talks about going in when the timing is right. These guys both have had a lot of success and they've, they, they have their system nailed down. And this basically just goes to show that there's not, just one way to do it there's more than one way to skin the cat and these guys both have proved that in their tactics but what it does is it gets your mind to thinking it gets you thinking about how you can use these different tactics for your area and when i go through and i listen to these things i'm always reminded maybe i forgot throughout the season sometimes you get kind of stuck in your own old habits of hunting a certain way and when you hear these guys talk and you know the success that they've had it's just a really good reminder that um, again there's other ways that you can do this and there's other ways that you can be successful in the woods so I hope you guys enjoyed that again go back and listen to all these episodes if you haven't heard them yet every single one of them is just chock full of knowledge and really really good stuff so I hope you guys will do that. Again, I'm looking forward to 2021. I think it's going to be the best year for Southern Ground Hunting yet. And, uh, man, I'm just excited about what the future has in store. 
Again, go and check us out on Facebook and on Instagram at Southern Ground Hunting. And on YouTube, I have put a lot of time, I put a lot of effort into the YouTube channel. It's something that I enjoy, and I hope you guys enjoy it too. If you're subscribed already, I really do appreciate that. 2020 has been a killer year for the YouTube channel and just Southern Ground Hunting in general. So, um, But if you're not subscribed, I really, really appreciate it if you did subscribe and uh and check it out and uh so yeah that's gonna be about it it's super late right now here in florida i've been going through all these podcasts and i'm a little bit loopy i'm a little bit tired so i'm gonna go inside and get some sleep guys if you're getting into the late season grind and you haven't filled all of your buck tags yet i want to say that i wish you the best of luck i hope that these podcasts are helping you become a better uh, outdoorsman, a better hunter, whatever it is that you're trying to go after, whether it's the biggest buck, whether it's the experience, maybe you're trying to kill your first public land deer. I wish you guys the best of luck here in this late season. And if you are going to be out in the woods, remember this, that God gave you dominion over the birds of the air, the fish of the sea, and the beasts of the earth. So go out and exercise that dominion. We will talk to you next time.